probably the thing that gets me most jazzed just because I've never been able to pull it off before is having a unified just analytics. So in Amplitude, being able to say, this user came into our homepage from these channels, and then they went to the, the pricing page, then they clicked the free trial button, then they signed up. In the trial, they did these five actions, and then they requested a demo, and then the salesperson followed up, and like I have that stitched that full journey stitched together because you know segments picking all of that up everywhere. And so that's the dream. Like that's what everybody is rushing towards. Hey, it's Dan Maga here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of Maga.io, the leading tech stack management firm. Each week I speak to executives to find out the exact stack they're using to drive revenue and make their goals a reality. This week, I have Jared Gardner, VP of Demand at Sprinkler, a unified customer experience management platform. It uses artificial intelligence to create insight-driven strategies and customers' experience. They've got revenues of over $400 million and in recent years have managed to grow 10, 20, and even 30%. Jared's got an agency background. He worked in the SEO space at Red Door Interactive and also at Qualtrics before taking on demand gen roles at Service Titan and now Sprinkler. Jared's background gives him a unique perspective. And in this episode, he'll tell us all about the tools he's using to drive revenue for Sprinkler. Jared's got a focus on unification. And by unification, what I mean is the process of rooting all of your data into one centralized location to be analyzed. This also allows to deliver highly personalized content to your customers. Here's my conversation with Jared from Sprinkler. I'm the Vice President of Demand Generation. So that really is responsible for all pipeline generation. We're a global company, so there's quite a bit of mouths to feed when we think of our sales development teams and our AEs. Never enough pipeline as when you're an enterprise SaaS company. So my background kind of started in channels. So when I say channels, search engine optimization was kind of my key channel that I, I spent a lot of years in the agency doing. Once I jumped into the startup world at Qualtrics a few years back, you quickly learned that High growth companies have more problems to solve than they have people to solve them. And so, it was kind of right place, right time. I was able to just start to pick up more and more channels. So, digital analytics was next, and then conversion rate optimization, uh, website project management, working with dev teams, and eventually, I uh, really want to try my hand at, at media. And so, me, once you had media and organic side, you're like, okay, you're the lead guy, you're the pipeline demand gen guy. So, that, that kind of just grew from there and, and naturally. Growing closer and closer to an SDR team as you go. So, really, we've been focused on opening opportunities for sales teams for the last few years. I think that's that's kind of like my my skill set, and my experience, my passion is really in the marketing technology side, for better or worse. And so, it probably drives my team nuts that I'm always like, "Hey, check out this thing. We should try this. Are we using this feature within this platform?" And I, you know, I think that Dan, that's how you and I have really connected and formed a bond between between Maga and myself over the years. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, I just want to make sure that I best understand, right? You know, I know Sprinkler mainly as a social media product, but it sounds like you've really expanded out of social media and it's covering all types of engagement. Help me understand that. Yeah, exactly. So, like, just in the engagement side, you know, it's expanded out of social into live chat into conversational commerce. Still, like we really think of modern channels being not just like email and voice and out of home advertising. And so we're trying to, we, you know, we support 31 channels, whether that be TikTok, live chat, 
WhatsApp, things like that. And so a lot of the messaging channels are new as well. And so we don't want to necessarily call the messaging channels social media, but we do call those modern channels. And so on the social side, it's more than just social channels now. But then there's also like the whole marketing planning and aspect part of it. So the content marketing planning, calendar, editorial calendar, workflows, project management, all of that, as well as like deploying paid social ads. And so you kind of go, you go from ideation to deploying ads and campaigns to then managing the comments and feedbacks that you get on those campaigns to acquiring customers. Ultimately, those customers need support. They're going to be emailing, calling, social care, for example. And so you know, we think about our care product as supporting at least 15 channels, whether that be social, live chat, and then the legacy ones like email and voice. So when you think about like success, what does success look like in one year or even in five years? Yeah, it's, I, th- I mean, I'd like to answer that more specifically to kind of my role and my scope. So for me, it's it's really being able to scale the demand generation to keep up with with the company growth. And so you know, there's the, the law of big numbers is like growing at 20, 30 percent when you have a strong revenue base of 400, 500 million dollars. That Growth becomes harder and harder. It's it's easier to grow when you're smaller. It's easier to grow faster. You know, that's, there's no surprise there. And so, being able to continuously scale and kind of hit those next big numbers, where you know there's there's only thirty or forty SaaS companies that are they're at a run rate of that size of like five hundred million plus in recurring revenue. So, not slowing down growth as, as we're at scale. I think that's kind of key number one. Key number two is even getting our getting our marketing and our customer experience really unified. Um, and so a lot of that revolves around using unified data and the tech stack and making sure that product and marketing and sales are all using the same data and using the same language. And I think that's the journey we've been on for the last year is really trying to establish that framework so that we can see what did the person do on the website? What did they do in our free trial? What did they do in Salesforce? What did they do in, in the premium version once they become a became a customer? And what did they do in our support channels? So, you know, even us as a company, we're always striving to unify our data and our technology. What are the challenges you're facing today or the speed bumps that you expect to hit that are going to prevent you from potentially reaching those goals? Like what are the things you're facing that's going to stop you from hitting those? I think one of the biggest challenges is the cost of advertising has just gone up so much over the last couple of years. It was a steady trend and increase, and then COVID hit, everybody shut down their media budgets, and there was three months of like, we were making hay. Meantime, another industry that is bracing for a severe pullback is the world of marketing spend, advertising. In a recent research note, Moffitt Nathanson estimated ad industry, the ad industry could see $26 billion in lost revenue in our next After that, everybody said, oh well, we gotta go, we gotta go all digital. And so like digital spend just got pumped into the market. And that was like, if you think of like the first Christmas after COVID hit, it was like everything was e-commerce, everything was online. In 2020, uh, we saw about one in every five retail dollars being spent online. That really is a big number. And that talks to the significant shift we saw, not just from consumers spending more online, but a lot of capabilities of businesses shifting online. And so like retail spend in Q4 was a disaster. There was an election that year. That election spend was a disaster. And then, you know, fast forward six months from then, you get like Facebook and iOS to making things more difficult. And so having the, the channels with the appropriate level of sophistication and reach together. 
that is tough for enterprise. So you know, LinkedIn has a lot of scale. Facebook has a lot of scale. Google has a lot of scale. After that, you know, you're looking at scale on like TikTok and Snapchat and some of these other platforms where the scale might not be there, but the sophistication of targeting for B two B isn't there yet. That's kind of what keeps me up at night is trying to figure out how to get scale on channels like that where you can still be targeted and we're not you know, showing ads to the wrong people. That's like one of the, the bigger challenges that keeps me up. Let's back up for a second and talk about what Jared's thoughts were on Facebook versus Apple. Performance marketers out there have felt the effects of Apple's war on Facebook for some time now. In April of 2021, Apple released iOS 14.5 for iPhone, which includes the app tracking transparency framework. It gives users more control over the ways the apps track their data and is super bad news for advertisers. That's why iPhone users will now be asked a single, simple question. Allow apps to track you or not? Maybe you're okay giving an app your email or location so they can share your data with others to personalize ads or build a profile about you. And if you're not, well, that's what the prompt is for. Whatever you choose is up to you. But at Apple, we believe that you should have a choice. App Tracking Transparency, a simple new feature that puts your data back in your control. Flurry Analytics says 5% of people in the U.S. have chosen to opt in for app data tracking. Prior to the update, you could target personalized ads to users and have very good tracking on its effectiveness. Now it's super difficult to get ads to reach your potential customers. First-party data is more important than ever. You'll want to make sure that you have a good internal database to hold all of your customers' info. Gone are the days when you could rely solely on targeted mobile ads. We'll hear from Jared how he's keeping track of his first-party customer data in a customer data platform called Segment. Segment is the category king of CDPs, and it allows Jared to keep and unify all of his customer data, which is something he really appreciates. More on this from Jared. So give me an idea, like from a 10-foot view, like what's in your stack? What are the main tools you're using? Yeah, so um, data collection is as much as possible built around Segment. And so using segment for event collection and that taxonomy. So whether that's in our product or on our website, user clicked this button, user filled out this form, user viewed this video. Collecting that in a unified way across trial, enterprise product, website, that's key. That, like, that's a really big challenge that takes a long time to solve, and very few companies are solving it. And it's like we're a little ways down that journey, still have a lot of long ways to go. And so with that, not only do you get the behavioral events, but you get a lot of like traits and details about a user, such as, you know, what their favorite color is or, you know, what campaigns they've engaged with so that hopefully you can do better personalization later. So that piece is that piece is really big. Obviously, sprinkler is a large part of our strategy. So the social advertising piece as a B2B demand generation expertise or expert is really big. And so being able to launch campaigns kind of simultaneously on Facebook, LinkedIn, those are probably our two larger channels. Being able to launch those things simultaneously in one platform and then unify the reporting out of those two. I think every me- like media manager in the world has some crazy Google sheet where there's like a different tab for every channel and they're pulling it in with like super metrics or something like that. And so by launching it in one place, we can also tag campaigns with like a custom tag that's only in our platform that we don't pull from the platforms to say like 
This was the red widget campaign. That was the blue widget campaign. In Facebook, we had six ad sets for blue widgets and three for red widgets. And on LinkedIn, we had nine for red widgets and two for blue widgets. But because of that custom tagging, now you can report on a rolled up campaign and like have that unified. And then all of our campaign and editorial planning and all of content production all happens in Sprinkler as far as our production goes. Um, and then, so, you know, kind of coming back to like the demand gen stack specifically, we do leverage demand base. Um, and so we use demand base for their IP lookup. Also is a phenomenal tool for kind of unified audience creation with its tight integration with Salesforce. We're obviously really, really, it's really important for us to have those B2B audiences. So that with, with automation uh, works really well. And then uh, our SDR teams are using Salesloft. And then, you know, a fair bit of, of kind of smaller tools that flow around that, you know, using lean data for lead to account matching and lead assignment. That's a big piece of our stack. You know, I, I mentioned we have like almost 100 SDRs spread around the world. And so that decision tree is like this long. <laughs> it's, it's like nearly a full time job for, <laughs> for somebody on the team to manage that. Cause we got, if this country and this industry, then this pool of people, if this country and this other industry, then this one individual, this this country and this revenue range, then this team, and so you know the decision tree in there is pretty nuts. So I'd say that, and then uh, Zoom info for like your B two B kind of intelligence accounts and contacts and stuff like that. So you know, I think one of the things that's really really cool is to hear how much you're using your own product, right? Like when I was at Kissmetrics, one of the first things that I threw a hissy fit about when I got there was we don't even use our own product. Like we're an analytics company and we don't even use our analytics product, right? But you're actually eating your own dog food every day and doing it, which is super impressive to see. So I just have to say I have to commend you all for being able to do that because a lot of brands in Martech don't. So keep it up. Yeah, it's funny that you said eating your own dog food. We actually call the the sprinkler instance of sprinkler. We call it champagne because eating your own dog. Nobody wants to eat their own dog food, so we want to drink our own champagne. So one of like our coworkers, Paul, had had coined that one. And it, man, it's tempting too. Like we we kind of went through a hyper growth phase in employee growth in in marketing to try to catch up to the rest of the business. And it's really tempting for every person to come in to like use the tech that they were used to. And so you know, like you said, it it can be like. Guys, we we could do that. We can do that here. We can do this there. But then there's also some like bells and whistles that you can't do in any other tool. And then you know that's when you get really excited, like, whoa! I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could use social listening on Twitter to create a first party Twitter audience and then serve them ads. That's cool. That's the sort of thing like using Twitter Firehose data. I didn't know you could do. And you're like, huh? Maybe we can make Twitter a successful advertising channel. I haven't talked to anybody who's done it yet. But if you have that level of targeting, maybe we can. TBD, but we're we're working on it. Well, that leads me to, I mean, like when you think about like the coolest part of your stack right now, or like the coolest campaign you're doing using your tools, what would that be? I mean, you brought up this Twitter example. Probably the thing that gets me most jazzed, just because I've never been able to pull it off before, is having a unified just analytics. So in Amplitude, being able to say. This user came into our homepage from these channels, and then they went to the, the pricing page. Then they clicked the free trial button. Then they signed up in the trial. They did these five actions, and then they requested a demo. And then the salesperson followed up. And then it went to SQL at this point, and then it went to close one at this point for you know Salesforce data again. And then now they're in the enterprise product, and like I have that full journey stitched together because you know segments picking all of that up everywhere. And so that's the dream, like that's the you know I think what everybody is rushing towards. Whether you know you're thinking about like Salesforce Customer 360 or Adobe CDP 
or you know, segment and telium and particle, they're all kind of rushing towards like being able to give people that unified view. And that's what everybody's selling. And generally the technology is there to do it, but the, these organizations that are ready to do it are so big that it takes so long and so much effort to like implement all that and instrument everything and get it to work across the company, especially because by nature you're crossing over like departmental lines. And so you need them to use the tool, but you need them to use it in the same way that you're using it. And I think you'll see more and more companies really have like a customer data officer or customer, you know, head of customer data that's job is to tie those data pieces together across the different silos in a company. Silos are the death of the stack and sometimes the death of entire companies. Jared's implementation of Segment hooked up to Amplitude and all of the other tools is really, really good. One of the biggest trends we're seeing in the stack is moving away from silo tools to having a well-integrated stack. An open marketing stack is one that shares data across tools. Every tool is integrated and can talk to the others. The backbone here, though, is your CDP. With a well-defined and unified stack taxonomy going through a CDP and then to all of your other tools, it becomes an open tech stack. In a closed stack, each tool is siloed and doesn't talk to the other tools. As a rule, siloing is a bad idea and it limits your control over your customer data. It makes it even more difficult to measure your efforts and find out the bottlenecks along your customer journey. If you want to see exactly how this looks, go get a free copy of my book at buildcoolshit.com. To take advantage of your customer data, you need to invest in a great customer data platform like Segment, Particle, Rudderstack, or even MetaRouter. That way you can integrate your data everywhere. And you should only pick tools that are made to integrate and play well with others. Now back to the interview with Jared. So Segment is, of course, a data capture product that you're using to shove data through the system. But like, what are the products that you're leveraging on the website at the top of the funnel to actually capture that lead? Like Drift or something similar? Or like, what do you have? Yeah, I think uh, the coolest under the market tool or like under the radar tool, like growing as the company grows is Mutiny. That's probably my favorite. So that's a B2B specialized personalization tool. And they can pull data out of Salesforce. They can pull data out of Segment. And so using that, and as well as from the IP vendors, you know, the IP enrichment vendors. So when somebody from financial services comes to our site, we could say, hey, see how we help financial services. Here's a financial services case study. Whether that's a pop-up or changing the content on the page or redirecting them to another page, that is a cool evolution because I've, I've spent a lot of time in optimization through my career and I've used Optimize 360, I've used Optimizely, I've used Intellimize, I've used VWO, I've used Adobe Test and Target. And all of those tools are like really good at testing, but not a lot of them are good at personalization in the way that targeting needs to be personalized. But you also have to be able to edit the experience in a personalized, scalable way. And so I think I remember when I was first trying to do stuff like you know changing your homepage headline based on industry, doing stuff like that meant creating an audience, and then that audience had an experience, and I edited that experience. And then that was for FinServe. And then there's one for retail. That experience was an audience, and then we had to change the experience. And so like to do... Just industry personalization, you really had to run like eight different tests and make sure the audiences were mutually exclusive so that they knew which ones to fall in. With a tool like Mutiny that actually lets you inject your targeting variables into the experience, now you can do that in one. You say, if industry is present, send in this experience. And then when you're editing the web page experience, 
in headline, insert company name, insert variable for industry. Obviously, that could get a little riskier because, like, no, that's not company names, not always going to be read well. Or it's going to be like Coca Cola LLC Malaysia, and then like it, it's going to line break and mess up your design. So you know, it could be there's that's a two edged sword when you have that much dynamic personalization. But to me, it's the only way that you can really scale. And then it also one thing I love about it is it allows you to prioritize and stack rank experiences. And so I've had using testing tools conflicting experiences because your audiences weren't mutually exclusive. And then you got like one thing changing and something else changing on the page. And those, whether they visually broke the page or just was nonsensical from the content layout and the messaging, you know, that can kind of be a problem. Yeah. And speaking of funny personalization, you know, I actually saw this happen. Somebody decided, uh, go fuck yourself is the company name that they had written into the form. And that form got saved into segment. And then when they came back to the website, it wasn't mutiny they were using for personalization, it was something else. So it said, hey, go fuck yourself when they came to the website. And I was like, oh my God. So big companies like Walmart, uh, one of my buddies, he works for a tech company as well that works with Walmart. Walmart has an actual office where every single message that is sent out from the company has to pass through first. I can't, it's like the, it's a profanity filter thing. So if somebody does something like that, it doesn't get merge variable into something. So Walmart has an office that that's all it does is manages those types of messages because people will write in some crazy things in your form. And then if you accidentally use that for personalization, you're the one who looks like an asshole, not the person. So. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we pipe every lead that we get into a Slack channel so that we kind of keep an eye on the quality and campaigns. And so I see some of the stuff that comes through forums. Every once in a while, you you get like an SDR that's like, why did you send me the Queen of England? Like, why didn't you filter that out? And I'm like, well, let me just start filtering every famous person that ever lived <laughs> and every fake phone number that ever lived. Like, some junk's going to get through. That's not an easy filter to apply. It's like, oh, let me get like the whole British family. I mean, that's a group of names. I'm going to go drop that into our, into our lead routing filters. When you think back, like past 18 months, What's the biggest mess up that's happened in the stack? Like anything that's completely blown up and caused all kinds of issues yet? I would say like the biggest the biggest thing is data quality on customer and prospects, duplicate accounts, things like that. I think there's a joke that every time you talk to a vendor, you're like, just like you, our our, our CRM data quality is not the best, and you know it's like. Introduce me to one person that says their CRM data quality is good. I've never met one in my career. Never. <laughs> it doesn't happen, right? Never. Never. It's always a it's a battle and it's it's hard to say is like, is it a big problem? Is it a little problem? Is it a normal problem? It's always a problem. And so, you know, trying to get that right, especially as you're doing account-based marketing, can be a challenge. Because if you got one customer one account marked as a customer and one marked as a prospect, and you're marketing to the customer that's a duplicate, and you're marketing to the prospect. Version of what really is a customer with a you know, become a customer type of message. Somebody's like, "Why are you showing me ads? I already, you know, I already use you." Like, it's a solvable problem. It just it takes effort, time, and sometimes a lot of force across. Once again, across silos because so many teams are are reliant on that data that you generally have to make sure you're like, "All right, I'm going to do this. I hope it doesn't like mess you up." And you know, kind of you kind of need a steering committee and a task force that straddles departmental lines. Yeah, definitely task force, right? So that is for sure when you're trying to clean up the CRM. You need you need like a group of people across every department to get that move forward. 
I've got a love-hate relationship with messy CRMs. These are the customer relationship management tools we use to manage our interactions with existing and prospective clients. And the two most popular tools out there are Salesforce and HubSpot. And on one hand, a messy HubSpot and Salesforce is a complete pain in the ass to clean up and the insight you gain from messy data is next to nothing. However, I'm not going to lie, cleaning up messy CRMs is a big component of what we do here at Magal.io. So it's a problem that continues to make us a lot of money. Now, I think the solution that Jared proposed here is a really good one. And there should be a dedicated person on your team, of course, depending on the size of your company, whose role is to manage the CRM data across departments. This CRM manager, sometimes known as sales operations, will be able to actually constantly update and manage the CRM to make sure you don't have too many cooks in the kitchen and you have good data to look at. Now, if you allow it so that different team members of your team are constantly going in there and tweaking little things and doing things as needed, the results are ultimately an inaccurate picture of your customer journey. So you've got to make sure that you have the right people doing the right things in your CRM so you know what's going on in the sales process and can drive your business forward. Now, let's get back to Jared to hear some of his closing recommendations on the future of the stack and how he sees it. What's next in the stack? Like when you think about the next addition to the stack or maybe some of the things you're trying to fix, what are the things you're trying to change and optimize in the stack? Man, I think we got the pieces in place, honestly. I don't need any more pieces of marketing technology. Like I want to keep unifying, you know. That's surprise coming from you, not going to lie, that you think you have all the pieces of technology. <laughs> yeah, there's there's pieces out there, but they're all kind of solving like small issues that like you got to ask yourself is like is my team's time spent well chasing this new shiny object or like finishing the job that we started over here and so i think that's for the next year it's going to be continuing to build on what we have and part of that is because like almost no company is fully maximizing the tools that they have at their discretion today and so that's where i want to focus is is continuing to drive on those tools that we have um, and then you know working with our vendors too to try to consolidate so sprinkler continues to add more features and so with that hopefully there's less tools that I need to buy but also you know there's vendors like I use this vendor for calendar booking can I get this other vendor who's basically doing the same thing just to add these three features and get rid of this one small vendor with this other vendor that I'm you know I'm married to for the end of time because you know the thing that they solve they're one of two vendors that do it at a high level. I, that's one of the things I do love spending a lot of my time with because of personal interest is like being on customer advisory boards with my with the software vendors that I have doing user research um, and talking to product managers. So uh, if a product manager sends me a survey about their product, I'll usually take it and I usually have three or four gripes with it and then you know a, a handful of things that I love. And then you know a lot of times the product manager will follow up and be like, hey, tell me about this. How do we if we did this, would it help you? And I'm like, yes, that's you know, that's exactly what we need. That's one fun thing about being at a, a slightly larger company and working with companies that serve enterprise is they know the problems that you solve are complex, and so they're going to make modifications. You know, it's it's harder to to influence companies that work with SMBs to make features just for you, or you know, make features that are kind of driven by companies like you, because they have so many people that they have to serve, and it needs to work for everybody as opposed to being highly customizable. So that can be like a two edged sword, but it can also be fun if you're able to have influence. What are your top predictions for the tools and the way the stack's going to change in the future? Like, what do you think is the biggest prediction? First party data will be key. First party data was fun and it was cool, 
for personalization and some targeting. But once the death of the cookie kind of became serious, and you know, and I, I think that the death of the cookie's been overblown. I'll be the kind of the first person to say that. All the all the companies are figuring out ways around it. Like <laughs> same here. The legislation, like GDPR, the people who wrote that have no idea how the internet works and have no idea that like, hey, the internet doesn't work without cookies. So you know, you're they're gonna have to come up with another a solution like local storage, which is the same exact thing as a cookie. The third party cookie has been, to be honest, I think slightly abused a little bit by some organizations in the industry. Um, I think. We all remember the situations or have the situations where you, you go to an online retailer, you look at, for example, at a pair of shoes, and then the next hours and days and weeks that pair of shoes is following you over the internet. That feels very intrusive. At least it does for me as a, as a consumer. And I think we're taking this stance for Google, really helps sort of clear out the industry. And really, you know, the industry has another two years to find solutions to better manage and, and, and use data for, for targeting purposes. So. The first-party data becomes more valuable because the third-party data goes away. So I'm talking specifically on the advertising side, and so as Facebook gets tracks less of the user's activity, they're going to know less about the interests of that user, which means they're going to serve less qualified ads to that user, and so that kind of lack of first-party data becomes more important because the third-party data, and not, not even so much because of the death of the cookie, but literally because of like blocking of trackers, that the third-party data sets and audiences are going to be, I don't think they'll be garbage, I think we'll st- they'll still get used in places, but they're going to be less effective and they're going to have less reach. And so having first-party data, what you've kind of created in interesting and unique ways, like, Potentially having quizzes, surveys, and tools on your site that are going to ask questions about somebody's interests, and and I'm, I'm thinking less in the B two B instance and more in like the B two C instance. Is like if you're selling nutritional pills, you should have a, like a quiz or a survey about somebody's body health, so you know what kind of things they're interested. Because in. Facebook's not going to know that they were just reading an article about what to do about their gout, like they used to, and show them gout pills. But if you can like have that like lead gen data collection up top, and you know this person has gout, then you can have you know first party data, sync that email address over, target them with the gout ads, as opposed to like expecting Facebook to be able to find everybody who has gout for you. That was a very random example that I don't know where I got, but I think it played. <laughs> gout works whenever you need an example. Don't worry. Uh... Yeah, that, I'm go- that's my go to from here on out. <laughs> This has been absolutely fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you here. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to make this all work. And you've given us a ton of awesome information about your stack. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. It was, it was great to be here. You know, it's always good to talk tech stacks with another tech stack nerd. So I appreciate it. It's fun to talk about the things that we're passionate about. Let's give you some recommendations for surviving the death of the cookie or the cookie apocalypse, as some call it. Google said it would kill third-party cookies in Chrome by 2022, but then decided mid-2021 that the date was too soon for the internet and had to push it back to late 2023. Let's be very clear here. They only said they were focused on third-party cookies. You can still use local storage and first-party cookies to track and store your customer data. This is in addition, though, to Apple having already blocked third-party cookies and cross-domain tracking links with its Intelligent Tracking Prevention feature, or ITP. There are many ways to work around ITP if you're hacky like our team at Maga.io, and if you need help, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. This phasing out, though, of third-party cookies has many advertisers shaking their boots. Not me, though, as the internet is more flexible than what people think. 
Third-party data allows advertisers and marketers to personalize and create hyper-targeted ads like the gout example Jared gave earlier. Without this data, it's like going back to the dark ages when we used to say, half of my advertising spend is wasted, but the problem is, I don't know which half. Google's developing tech that will help advertisers continue to target their audience, but this tech is honestly only available for the rich and famous and will not work well for small businesses. You also have data management provider Permutive, who is also in the process of creating a similar tool that will be able to help everybody. We will be working to have them on a future episode too to talk about their opinions in the landscape. Ultimately though, an increased reliance on first-party data is the solution to the phasing out of the third-party cookies. Now, that's all for today, but because you're interested in this podcast, naturally the next step is to get a free copy of my book at buildcoolshit.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week.